Welcome to Hand Therapy Heroes, the premier podcast on hand and upper extremity rehabilitation. As a worldwide educator and developer of best-in-class hand therapy content, Susan Weiss, occupational therapist and certified hand therapist, brings you an array of hand therapy specialists, hand care solutions, and more. Welcome everyone to Hand Therapy Heroes. I am so thankful to have this podcast and our amazing audience. I received hundreds of emails from practitioners from all over the world with words of kindness and thanks to us for hosting this podcast. We've now reached 76 countries and I could interview somebody every day and still have so many hand therapy heroes to learn from. I've really enjoyed chatting with so many brilliant people, and I love how willing each and every one of you is to share with our hand therapy community tips, gems, and pearls of wisdom. Please keep your emails and messages coming. It means so very much to us, and we appreciate the time and effort that you make to connect. Also, if we don't email you back, your message likely found its way to our spam or trash file. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. My kids created a TikTok account so you can connect with us there. Or my favorite, LinkedIn, which is where I had the pleasure of connecting with our guest today, Min Quan Tron from Montreal, Canada. Min graduated from McGill University in 2013, and he received his CHT credentials in 2019. His goal is to provide top quality, state-of-the-art hand care to his patients, and he uses an individualized approach to care. I really enjoy how he shares his cases on LinkedIn, and I'm delighted to introduce him to our listeners today. So, Min. How did you get into hand and upper extremity rehabilitation? It actually happened 10 years ago, even though I've only been working for seven years uh, as, a, as an OT. Um, I had to do some shadowing uh, in OT before I started my undergrad. And I actually was lucky enough to run into one of the f- only three CHEs in my area at the time. And um, well, he showed me a little bit of splinting and just showing me some of the cases he was he was saying and just kind of explained the reasoning to me and I, th- I think that just kind of resonated with me um, seeing how it was so detail oriented and he, he had such in-depth knowledge of the hand and just the biomechanics of it and just understanding and he would he would just analyze everything that he saw in front of him to make I guess an informed decision clinically um, to solve whatever problem he was on and again, I think that, that's basically how I address every problem in my life. And I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. Um, yeah. So, I mean, throughout my studies, I was my only, my single, only single goal of being a, becoming a hand therapist. Um, and just, you know, I just kept exchanging with that guy um, over the years and, you know, started working in outpatient clinic, just regular orthopedics for a year and then worked at the hospital in the hand department for a year and 
gradually I just kind of started building a caseload just of a majority of hand and wrist. And, you know, and at some point I just, I was talking to my mentor again and it was something like 11 PM at night. And he told me, Hey, just come over to the clinic. We'll talk. And we will just, we just started talking. Hey, maybe we should, we should work together. Um, you know, and you know, I just quit my job the next day, started working with him and I, you know, I, I told him that's what I wanted to do. And, uh, yeah, ever since we both only treat hands and I'm pretty happy. Uh, it's helped me tremendously just to be basically all week, all full time with my mentor, just to, to help me understand hands and just, I mean, it's helped me in, in studying for my CHG, CHG exam last year as well. Um, so, I mean, I, I would definitely recommend that for anyone who's looking into that. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much how I got into hands. Awesome. I, I was very similar. I was going into my career as an occupational therapist with the intent of doing hand and upper extremity therapy. So I completely understand that. And I watched the hand therapist going through in high school. I was in a clinic. I, I did a tour and I was like, okay, I want to be what she's doing and she was doing some type of hand therapy and I thought that looked fun and it, it is it, it is a great opportunity to to get very connected with your patients and that was one of the things I really enjoyed it was that connection which of course we're all not able to do right now with the, the world yeah. the, the way it is today absolutely so you know can you tell me first of all who your mentor was because we should give a shout out to this person um, okay so my mentor well i mean we live in an area where we speak french right so he has a french name so his name is jean-francois wallet um he's one of the few chgs here in, in in quebec canada um and thanks to him I, i'm one of them as well now um, congratulations yeah, so shout out to to gf <laughs> Yeah, that's great. And it's very inspirational to hear that you had a mentor that was able to facilitate you to, to become a CHT since it is not, like you said, widely utilized in your area. So you were able to, to grab it. That's awesome. Yeah. Send it. And, uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty lucky too, because he was mentored by, I think our area's first CHT and Shrikant. So, yes. I mean, learn, I guess it kind of, you know, he learned from the best and then, and then me and then so on and so forth. Well, awesome. Thank you for joining us today. And I know we were going to talk a little bit about protocols and following protocols and should we follow protocols? So what are your thoughts on protocols and where should therapists uh, get protocols or should they get protocols? Um, I, well, so I think protocols, I mean, they're, they're good and they're reassuring for new therapists. Um, be, because they haven't had the chance to develop that clinical reasoning and just that that uh, in-depth knowledge of anatomy and biomechanics and all different surgeries that we all see in our caseload. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's reassuring for a new therapist who doesn't have that foundation yet. Um, but I think the first thing you should probably aim to learn is... Um, is, is to adapt those protocols. And how do you do that? I mean, you just, you have to learn about concepts such as, I don't know, work of flexion or just fracture stability. You just, you have to know what each of the surgeries that your surgeon sent you uh, in, entails anatomically. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. say what part did they what did they, what part did they remove or what did they repair where did they did they repair it and all that stuff um, because that that will really um, impact what you can or cannot do in, in therapy um, yeah so that that's my thought I think a lot of protocols um, well I mean I, I haven't ever seen a protocol that takes into account all of the different variables say stiffness just uh, individual patients healing rate or just general health or uh, the stability of the fracture I, I, I don't remember reading a protocol where it talks about hey that fracture is is spiral so you shouldn't do that right right so yeah and and what about the tissues the tissue healing if you know some of those concepts don't you think that eliminates some of the needs for some of the protocols absolutely um, and, and that I think that's how I kind of make my make my decisions clinically nowadays. Um, and and for like like I was saying, I mean, for the longest time when I went to I guess uh, hand therapy conferences, I I never understood why they always started with tissue healing. Mm-hmm. And and it took me a while, but then when I started to do um, close to exclusively hands, and then I started to understand it's because everything we do in hand therapy is based on tissue healing of different types of tissues. Say bone takes however long to heal and tendon takes however long. Um, and, and depending on the stress that you kind of, uh, I guess, inflict <laughs> on those tissues, they'll heal, heal differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's the very foundation of what, everything that we do and we need to understand that and, and kind of uh, take that into consideration in our decision-making. And, the types of approach that we take, uh, that, that we choose. In, yeah, in and not only uh, the tissues, but what about the individual patients? They're absolutely. You know, and are they older? Are are they? You know, what's their? Are they diabetic? So, what is their medical history, mm-hmm. and how is that yeah. going to contribute? And that definitely doesn't really fit into any protocols, does it? Yeah, and again, I don't remember reading any protocol that I ever touched on that. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I think. Protocols, they'll be good for a new therapist who doesn't have a mentor. Okay. But if you have a mentor, by all means, rely on your mentor more than on the protocol book. Uh, for sure. When you get a referral uh, from your doctors, do they have the protocols that they want you to follow in there, or they just put evaluate and treat, or how do how do um, they handle the situations with your? I think it all depends. I mean, we we're fortunate enough where me and my mentor work. Uh, we we have, I mean, um, a very good relationship with most of the surgeons in the area. In the area, and so they all refer to us. Um, and I've noticed. I I think it's mostly the older surgeons that specify a specific protocol whereas all the all the younger ones i guess i mean they they've seen the results that we can deliver and they they trust our reasoning nowadays mm-hmm. um and to, let's face it i mean they normally would have a um, op- operating room protocol as well but when do they ever follow it they always adapt right right sometimes when they'll do the clinical exam for the patient uh, say at the clinic, but then they get to the OR and they realize, oh, that's not exactly what happened there. So I have to change whatever I was going to do. And I think that's the same thing we should do with the, cl- with the patient in front of us at the clinic, right? So, I mean, 
you can always have a, refer a perfect referral saying, hey, I did a four strand repair on this, on, on this FDP zone, whatever, um, whatever, whatever. But then if, 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 if the patient is really, really stiff or he's non-compliant or he has a lot of swelling, then you probably should not start moving actively right away even though that's my preferred approach, but you know, he pro should probably postpone that active movement for a few days. Right, you have to look at the whole picture. I think that's a really, really good point that you just said, you know, uh, how is that person's, uh, really their health in general, they might just be not well, or maybe the, it's a young, young person or somebody who's mm -hmm. mentally challenged. So it, it's not just a protocol. I wanna do early active on every single case because you're gonna have the best results but that doesn't necessarily convey to reality. Yeah, th th there's that. And also, I mean, I think those who, I guess, fail to consider all those variables, they might run into complications, right? Mm -hmm. So if you were to move that, that, that tendon case that we were just describing, you might run into a risk of rupture. Um, mm -hmm. And that's <laughs> always traumatizing. I remember my first one. Um, and I'm probably still traumatized about it. It probably wasn't well, even my fault, but. Well, do you know. tell, do tell. We like these cases because um, it makes people feel, okay, it can happen. Let's hear it. So, yeah, I mean, so I, I which one was it? Um, <laughs> I, I don't actually remember. Um, oh yeah, my first one actually. He, he was an FDP zone one um, of the index finger. And we went through the surgery, the, the, the rehab with early active and, and whatever. And he had, he had a pretty good range at, at the, at the end of, of the rehab. Um, he basically could do a bit more than a, than a flat fist. Um, his DIP would have maybe 20 or 30 degrees of flexion, mm -hmm. um, which is fully functional for mo most things, but he was mm -hmm. close to retirement and, and um, he wanted to play guitar during his retirement, right? So that's, that's a bit of, of a problem if, if your DIP doesn't, doesn't bend, sure. right? So, I mean, we just gave him all the information. He could go for tenolysis and so on and so forth. Um, and he, he chose to do that. And I went to the surgery um, and, and it was a wide awake surgery. We, we were there, the surgeon does his job does his job, tenolysis, and the tendon, we see it, we see it, it starts to glide. And he, because it was, it was wide awake, he told the patient, just test it, right? Try to bend your finger. Went well. And then he tested it again, but probably went a bit harder. And then the tendon just popped in front of our eyes. Mm -hmm. And that was traumatizing. But, you know, and, and at, that, at, mo at that moment during the surgery, we, that's when we realized, oh, you know, even though it's been, say, six months or so from the first surgery, your tendon wasn't really that strong at that point. Mm -hmm. It was more the adhesions that were holding it together. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know. Was the, that, in that case, was it, uh, was the, there some gapping that had led to that as well, do you think? Did um, you notice that? Uh, I don't remember, to be honest, it's been a while, but uh, uh, maybe. Uh, I, I do remember the surgeon saying, um, yeah, okay, so it's, it's really not as strong as we thought, but, and it's being held by the adhesions. Mm -hmm. And before he did, he completed the tenolysis. He told he asked the patient, "Do you still want to go through with it?" Mm -hmm. And we we just explained the risks and all that. And he said, "Yeah, yeah, do it." And unfortunately, that happened. Um, second one, my second rupture. Um, I actually posted on LinkedIn not not too long ago. 
um, it was this gentleman who cut himself with, I believe, a grinder on on the in zone two of uh, small finger, and he cut FVS FVP, and there was some bowstringing, so the surgeon had to use FVS to reconstruct uh, the A2 pulley. Okay. So. I, I, I see this, this this case and I'm like, oh yeah, with the pulley re reconstruction, I gotta get some movement. And at that point, I mean, he had some loss of some substance, but not too much. Um, so, I mean, we went, it went well. He was, he seemed relatively compliant at first. And I, I think I made a mistake on that part um, um, because say, I think around 10 days post-op, I was in the clinic, I was I went to go get um, I guess gauze and stuff to change his dressing. Dressing, and I noticed he was he was just trying to look at the scar, passively extending his finger. Like, no, no, don't don't do that, <laughs> right? And, and I had told him multiple times before, and you know, I, I just told him, okay, don't change anything to your exercises. Go very gentle. Do not do that motion again, and it should go well. I mean, this is when your tendon could is, is most likely to break, right? And so the next, that was a Friday. And then the Saturday afternoon, I get a phone call from that patient. I think I just broke my tendon. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, what did you do? What happened? And turns out he just had a spasm at night. Mm -hmm. So again, I mean, it's not really in our control, but mm -hmm. probably I, sh I, sh I, I might've, chosen better to not make him move act actively um, just because he wasn't very aware of whatever movement he was doing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it happens. It's a learning process. It, it does happen. And, and I was and, expecting and, you to tell us that they ruptured in your hand. So no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, but like I said, I mean, everyone I've told this story to, they tell me, no, no, it's not your fault, but it's still traumatizing. Mm -hmm. Right. Course. I mean, uh, to, to me, it's still a rupture, and it was my, that patient was my responsibility, right? So, um, not, I'm not too super happy. No, but no, I've never had a patient pop break in my hand, so I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, <laughs> That's good. That's good. So, what would you say your most challenging types of cases that you run into in your practice with that your current caseload consists of? Uh, I would say non-compliant patients. Non-compliant. <laughs> um, either because, um, say, like that case we just discussed, they they do think they 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 don't mean to do wrong or to do whatever you're telling not telling not to do, but they still do just because they they're not aware of their movements. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, we've all ran into patients um, who think they know better than you. I think it's more of a personality thing. For me, I think it's more if my personality or or the patient's personality don't kind of work well together, then we'll we'll have a bit of trouble. Um, so but, when you, when those cases occur, do you share it with your partner? Then does he take over a case that there might be some personality conflict? Yeah, it, I mean, if if something really isn't working, then we'll just I'll just transfer the case to my partner uh -huh. uh, or vice versa. Um, but I mean, it hasn't really happened. We just have, like have a talk with, with the patient, like, you, you know, like, look, I'm doing this for you. I mean, you're, you're the only, 
you're the person who's going to benefit the most from this and so on and so forth. So it's, it's just p- patient education most of the time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, some, some patients are still <laughs> reluctant to listening to, to someone like me, especially me. I mean, I, I have the face of an 18 year old, right? So, right. You do. <laughs> um, so, you know, some, sometimes older, older gentlemen are not as willing to listen to me, but um, you know, so have to deal with it. <laughs> That's a good point you actually brought up because with some of our listeners that are newer practitioners or practitioners that are studying for their CHD, what are some tips that you could share with them on how to deal, I guess you could say, or negotiate with patients that do kind of look at you like, what do you know? You're like a 12-year-old. I tell them, look, I mean, this is what's going to happen if you do this motion. You might break whatever injury you had repaired. Mm-hmm. and then we'll have to spend more time together, right? And I just kind of play it like, you don't want to be here, but you're going to have to be here longer if you do that, right? So right. That makes sense. So that's, that's a good tip. And do you have some other tips that you could share that you, that you say, oh, this would be a really cool tip that you guys could use in your clinical practices. We love getting little tips here and there. You got to... Uh, seek out the information all on all the different concepts that are out there instead of looking for protocols or specific degrees of motion um say you you got to understand work of flexion when you get into flexor tendons um mm-hmm. you got to understand how to use relative motion splinting right and it, it's useful in so many ways but you got to understand why mm-hmm. or um um you know, Gwen Van Steen did a, well, kind of presented us with the scratching that she does yes. for flexor tendons. That's great, but you got to understand how to use it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just tissue healing, mm-hmm. check up on your tissue healing, how long each type of tissue takes to heal more or less. Um, obviously there's patient factors that come into play here, but, you know, g- generally say a metacarpal will take three to four weeks of not too much motion at the fracture site to heal, right? Or mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. For tendons, you usually protect, their, for, protect them for about six weeks. Um, so on, yeah. So not to get hung up on the, the minute details of 10 degrees at the DIP and 30 degrees no. at the PIP. No, exactly. I, and I, I think I say, I mean, some, some very good therapists say, I'm, I'm thinking Rosal Nevins, she's great. And thank God she did all that work with with all all, all all those degrees and all that stuff. But I think it's not so much to get hung up on getting 28.7 degrees of flexion rather than, hey, doing roughly 30 degrees of flexion will get, give us three to five millimeters of glide. And, and that's what we want to prevent the adhesions, mm-hmm. right? So, and I think, say, when I, when I get a new case, right, I'll... I'll think what did what happened to him, right? So okay. is it fractured, is it a tendon, whatever? Um, was it repaired? Was it not repaired? Mm-hmm. Um, how strong is the repair? How stable is the fracture? How strong is the repair? What does the repair say? If, say if it's tendon, how, what does the tendon need to do to to kind of recover well? It needs to glide to the five millimeters um, to prevent adhesions. How do I do that? I need to move, right? But there's going to be obstacles, swelling. Um, just sutures 
the repair, the bulk of the repair, were the pulleys vented or not, so on and so forth. And you got to take that all of that into account and analyze what you can do safely to get that three, three to five millimeters of glide without breaking the repair, mm-hmm. right? Um, and also look at your and how compliant your patient is. Um, as as I've I've made that mistake before, and I think uh, it's easily av- avoidable. Um, yeah, yeah, those those are great tips. I really appreciate that. One thing that you just mentioned that some therapists might be wondering when you you determine the the repair and the strength of the repair and the whether it's a fracture. How do you get that information? Do you get the surgical reports? Do you call the doctors? Because many therapists aren't in a position to do that. Mm-hmm. So what what techniques do you use in, in your practice to get as much information about those mm-hmm. strengths? So we're, like I said before, I, I mean, we're very fortunate um, where it, it, uh, in our practice, because uh, we have a very good relationship, relationship with most of the hand surgeons in our area. And so we all have their number, right? So mm-hmm. if we get a new case from them and we need more info, then we will just call them or text them. Um, Whether we're in front of the patient or after work or over coffee, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and they'll give us their point of view. I did this, 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 and we'll say, are you comfortable with me doing this, this, this? And if they say yes, then it's a go. If they don't say yes, we'll negotiate a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> then what if what if I do this right? Because I'm, I'm I'm I mean I I know I want I'm 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 an advocate of early active motion right. So I'll I'll try to I'll try to push for that, but maybe I'll just limit the amount of motion that I, that I allow right. So I'll do mm-hmm. thirty degrees like like uh, just just to get that thirty to five millimeters without going to a full half fist say for flexor flexor tendon. Right. Great. Um, and there's been articles about that, say, say for DIP isolation exercises, okay. um, if you go further than 30 degrees, that's when it increases stress on, on, the, on the repair site of the FDP. Um, whereas if you stay within that 30 degree range, it doesn't. I think it was, it's an article from Japan. I forget the name of the author because it's Japanese. But uh, yeah. <laughs> and if they still don't, don't um, kind of agree with with what we're suggesting we'll send them an, an, an article that supports whatever we're saying well what a great relationship yeah and and i like i said i mean through that kind of approach and just delivering good results with whatever we're doing in the clinic it i think we've gained their trust mm-hmm. and and then and, and so they, they keep referring patients to us and just discuss cases and and they they never really dictate any sort of protocol or what they want to do with the patient. Good deal. So we're we're pretty fortunate with that. I think another advice for starting therapists is to um, build a strong relationship with the surgeon, right? Because right? uh, that's very important. Not only to get the referrals, but also they will teach you a lot of things. That's how I learned also, right? So not only did I have my mentor, but uh, he he also taught me to reach to, to go meet uh, different hand surgeons and just learn from them, just shadowing the surgeons, going to the OR with them, just mm-hmm. discussing different cases and what their reasoning is. Um, because I think just having 
their perspective in mind really helps us in our in in therapy. Well, thanks for sharing what you do in your clinic and with your partner and the surgeons. It's been a, a great opportunity for us to dive into you know how things go in your world and I appreciate your time and thanks for joining us on Hand Therapy Heroes. My pleasure. It's a great opportunity for me. It was fun. Thanks I'm so much. I'm probably the youngest guest on the show ever. <laughs> oh, well, I, I enjoyed it. And, you know, your inspiration is brilliant for the therapists that are, you know, newer, especially to, you know, look at you, you, you knew what you wanted, you stayed focused, you went and did it, you got your CHT and it, it's not even that popular where you are and you still did no. it. So we're really proud of That's you. True. And, and thank you for sharing with us. Thanks for joining Hand Therapy Heroes. Please leave us a five-star review when you have a couple minutes. And everyone, stay safe. And thank you to each of you for your service to your community and for taking care of your patients. If you want to join us in Hand Therapy Heroes or know somebody that you feel would be a great connection for Hand Therapy Heroes, please connect with us via email or any of our platforms. Thank you for listening to Hand Therapy Heroes. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Visit handtherapy.com and register for our newsletter containing free content and courses about our fascinating hands. Hold hands today for a more functional tomorrow.